Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's interview with Mary Ann Yeager, CEO of Sequoia Project. In this segment, Yeager talks about the rigorous processes Sequoia employs to ensure they get sufficient feedback from users, how interoperability testing has evolved and taken on a critical role, and why she's eternally optimistic about the future of interoperability. Are there specific formats for that, for getting that feedback? Well, you know, we plan to really facilitate this work in the most open and transparent way possible. So we will, you know, have public calls so individuals can provide feedback um, during the public comment session. We'll have informational webinars. When we seek input, it's going to be probably on specific questions that we're really trying to get a sense of if there's commonality or understanding perspectives or implications of a particular issue. And of course, the draft work products, whatever's come out of it, the use case document or an implementation guide or just recommended implementation plan for new versions of that are deployed around particular specification, as I mentioned, the consolidated CDA. We'll put those documents out for input. And so we'll have to be able to take input through many means. So some of it will be real time verbally or through webinars. Others will be through just submitting feedback through email or other online means. Right. Can it be challenging to get input? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, either may. Well, the challenge is if you get no input, then right, that's right. one challenge. And then the other is you get so many comments, you know, how do we try to really analyze those? But I think it's going to be very doable because these are going to be very specific issues. You know, we're, we're really sensitive to making sure we get feedback from clinician users and, and patients. And for instance, it, it could be we're anticipating we're probably going to have to go and enlist input from specific groups if we don't hear from them just to make sure that the work is calibrated to the real world and what's going to really be beneficial. Right. Okay. And you also mentioned um, interoperability testing. And, and how is mm -hmm. that uh, being done? So we have um, a set of automated tools. We worked in uh, partnership with NIST and IHE, which stands for Integrating the Healthcare Enterprise. And they had developed test utilities that have been used for years, just more during development life cycles. And since those tools are really supported by the standards body and, and NIST, who's an expert in, in these activities, we were able to leverage that work and, and tailor it to the deep interoperability testing that is very much needed to mature the implementations and the interfaces that are used for health information exchange. So today, standards and accompanying specifications are really great guides to developers of health IT systems, but there are, is room for interpretation. And so the tools really represent the authoritative interpretation so that there's consistency so that when a system is actually implemented in the real world, that's when this testing comes into play. You do it during sort of the development life cycle, but nothing is more of a proof point of interoperability than making sure a real world system that's being used in practice is actually meeting those requirements in a consistent and standardized way. And that's, that's where we come in. We've seen right. testing really, really mature health IT systems and those implementations over the years. There was a yeah. time when we had to test every single connection to the health information network, and now the testing is so rigorous that now that we are able to test and verify that the vendor system itself is interoperable almost out of the box, that that really negates the need for subsequent testing and, and really it gets us closer to that seamlessness we're all striving for. Right. Now, for a little bit of background on you, you've been with Sequoia for about six years, right? Since its inception, yes. 
Okay. So what what was it that made you really interested in, in coming to the organization? And Yeah, so before the company was formed, I was doing contract work at um, the Office of the National Coordinator, and I was working in that capacity and supporting the Nationwide Health Information Network Initiative, which evolved into the eHealth Exchange as we know it today. And at the time, the federal partners and the private sector partners and ONC realized, well, you know, high tech had come about and they were very much focused on implementing its charge under high tech. And this activity had predated it. So really, I had facilitated some discussions with the private sector participants and the federal partners, and they really felt that there was a benefit in continuing to grow the network and the private sector. And it was very important to all that the company operate with the same will and level of integrity and transparency and public good as the federal government. And so Sequoia was really chartered to serve that role we had realized when we were forming the company that there could be other things that we may need to do over time. So we actually, when we chartered uh, the Sequoia Project, it was really in that public good organization, that public-private organization, and the governance would enable it, the eHealth Exchange to really govern itself. We would provide support services, but we would also have the ability to support other activities. And here, six years later, you know, we had formed Care Equality. Now eHealth Exchange and Care Equality are operating under their own corporate structures. And, you know, we're broadening our focus. So it was very, I guess, fortuitous, you know, to have that kind of foresight. Uh, But I don't know that we ever envisioned it would grow to this degree. And it was such an honor to have been appointed and and hired to serve as the inaugural CEO of the company. And, And it's just been an incredible journey since. Right. And looking at your role, what have you found to be the most rewarding aspects of it? It's incredibly humbling to see the real world progress. So much of the time we focus on what's not fixed yet. And uh, what's rewarding is, you know, knowing that we're making health information available to better treat veterans and, and all of us as patients. We're starting to see that more in real life as we get other providers and particularly on the ambulatory side connected. And I think it's just that sense of duty that this is helping people and and then certainly the latest sort of being reminiscent of the fact that this is being used to help people that are impacted by those devastating fires in California. And, you know, we had uh, heard from the program director for Pulse in California, met with her last week, and she actually gave a talk about this at ONC. And she told a story about how she was in a shelter and the volunteers were trying to treat as many people as they could, but some people were so distraught that they couldn't even really communicate. In particular, one person had, they asked them, well, what's your address? Because they needed that information to search for this person's records and they just couldn't even voice it because their home had been destroyed, their entire town had been destroyed. Mm -hmm. And so it's just realizing the human facing side of, you know, we work on so many wonky, you know, technical and policy issues. Maybe interoperability isn't ubiquitous, but a record is a life. You know, 10 records are 10 lives, 100 records are 100 lives, and that matters deeply to us. And that's very, very fulfilling uh, for me professionally and personally. Right. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, on the flip side of that, I know that there there are many challenges, but what have you found to really be some of the um, the difficult aspects of your role? Um, there's so much movement and change. I would say that means we have to be nimble. We and that makes it exciting. But you know, 
I would say that the biggest challenge is historically has been getting momentum, but I think we finally have momentum so that I think the first couple years of of the company, we're really just trying to get enough momentum so that the interoperability was seen as substantive, tangible progress. I think we're finally seeing that. And the next challenge is, you know, how do we get this capability ubiquitous? And it's just going to be take our continued focus and energy and bringing stakeholders together to continue expanding. And so that, that'll be our uniform focus until interoperability is just baked in and nobody's talking about it anymore. So for us, it's just that constant getting to that next level, and that's what we're focused on right now. Right. Our publication is primarily focused towards CIOs, and a lot of the challenges we hear are around M&A, which is becoming pretty much the norm. There is so much movement in that space too. And can you provide some thoughts on the challenges that health systems face when it comes to interoperability when you're talking about mergers, acquisitions, and connecting with the physician offices? Well, we, you know, we're seeing a lot of progress Initially, the the first adopters were really around the health systems, and so with mergers and acquisitions, it's usually more or less migrating to sort of what the authoritative system is. So I don't know that that's as as big a challenge as maybe it once was, unless this one system or network is more or less mature than another. The biggest challenge is getting the rest of the provider community connected so that they have other partners with whom they can exchange data. So that's really where Carry Quality steps in is getting the ambulatory vendors really on the on the same page of how to get their systems interoperable and we're starting to see that but really most of the exchange that's occurred over the past several years has really been between and among health systems HIEs and governmental agencies and their affiliated practices you know, they're affiliated with those health systems certainly but um, getting the rest of the healthcare community connected is still a challenge and I would I would wager a guess that they're still maybe not seeing the full benefit of that The other is there are a significant number of long-term post-acute care, skilled nursing facilities that may not be fully digitized and they may not be able to share data with them at all. So that a large number of your referrals are to long-term post-acute care uh, rehab centers and they're not really digitized or if they're not connected to health information network that there's some inefficiencies with that. So we have a ways to go. If I were to wager a guess, I would say that there are probably challenges around the data they're receiving. Mm -hmm. So um, I always said I'll know we're starting to get success when providers start complaining about the data, right? Because then now that they're starting to look at it and rely on it, we'll know that we're making progress when it's actually used. So that's probably another big area is we've got to get the data better and the data quality and completeness. And that's why we've spent a lot of our energy around testing to get the systems matured and to improve the quality of the data. So it's valuable to clinicians and users. So looking at the landscape and the future, in general, are you optimistic about where things are headed? It sounds like you are, but also aware that, that there are a lot of roadblocks. You know, to me, it's, I don't look at them as roadblocks. We'll find a detour then. <laughs> you know? um, right, I mean, right. that's just the name of the game. We have to be tireless in our pursuit of making this work in the real world. And I am eternally optimistic because we are seeing progress. Now, if there had not been any substantial progress over the last six years, I would say maybe we're going down the wrong path. But that's, that's not the case. We are seeing unprecedented growth and uptake of the connectivity that's supported by health information networks and now across networks that carry quality. And we're starting to see other uses of this connectivity to serve disaster response. And so to me, that's 
galvanizing with so yeah. much within our reach. And so, I, I mean, if there's a hurdle, we jump it. If there's a roadblock, we go around it. And that's just the way it's got to work. <laughs> right. And I would guess that even looking back at the past six years, uh, it's been encouraging to see the progress, which is not always maybe, you know, linear, but uh, certainly you can see the progress has been made. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that that covers what I had for now. Um, If I have anything else, I'll follow up. But thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And this has been really interesting. Oh, well, thank you so much for your interest. And yes, certainly if you need anything else, don't hesitate to reach out. Okay, great. And if not, um, I look forward to catching up with you down the road. Always new developments. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Marianne. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.